one of the big issues in our society today, maybe the biggest issue, I think, is concern for the environment. It's everywhere, isn't it? Recycling, fuel emissions, COP26, and so much more. And though they often uh, can be divided by these things, human beings, people like us, seem increasingly concerned about the state of the planet that we live on. And in order to think about all of this, Christians need to listen to Scripture. And the issue is not one that Scripture is silent about. Throughout His Word, God has much to say about the value of creation. And just think about the beginning and the end of the Bible. How we begin and end a story is important, isn't it? Well, the Bible begins in a garden paradise and it ends in a garden city. And Psalm 104 is one of the places in between those two great gardens where we get God's perspective on the world that he has made. And God does this in a surprising way. He does it by giving us a song to sing. Psalm 104 has been described as a meditation on Genesis 1. Almost as if the author read that chapter multiple times and then decided to compose a song all about it. And like Psalm 103, this psalm begins and ends with a call to worship. Bless the Lord, O my soul, verse 1. And then at the end, bless the Lord, O my soul, praise the Lord. The whole purpose of this psalm, this meditation, is that you and I might do just that today. Join the psalmist in praising our Creator. And to help us do so, I want to show us um, four great themes. If this is a song, maybe we should say four great chords in this uh, creation song, things that uh, the psalmist keeps coming back to. And I want us to keep the focus on God as much as possible. Notice first his rule over it, his rule over it. Look at the beginning of the psalm. Oh Lord, my God, you are very great. You are clothed with splendor and majesty. What we're introduced to at the beginning of the psalm here in these opening verses is the distinction between the creator and his creation. So God is not part of creation as a worldview like pantheism teaches. Christians don't believe in mother nature as a kind of personification of creation. No, Christians believe that God rules over creation as king. Look how he's described in verse 2, covered with light as with a garment, stretching out the heavens like a tent. The psalmist is using poetic language to communicate something of God's grandeur and his majesty. Um, In an ancient tale, um, King Canute, have you ever heard of him? He ruled England, Denmark, and Norway at the beginning of the 11th century. He stood at the sea 
as the tide came in and commanded it to stop. And much to the dismay of his flattering advisors, it didn't. Canute was demonstrating that only God had power over nature. Only God could do verses 3 and 4. Only he has authority over it. And the commentator Daniel says he sees God depicted here in verses 3 and 4 as a kind of master builder, clouds and wind and fire, which are so often outside of our control, aren't they? They do exactly what he says. Now, many people have pointed out that this psalm has um, similarities, not just with Genesis 1, but with an ancient um, Egyptian hymn to the sun. And if that is true, then the writer is making a powerful point. It is a polemic. He is telling us that God, not the sun, no one else, is the ultimate source of light and life in this world, that he rules over his creation, that it's in his hands, his it's under his authority. When I was um, a little boy growing up on the Isle of Skye, and one of the things that we loved to do was go outside in the wind, and we'd put our jackets up over our heads like this. Anyone ever done this? And we'd stand facing into the wind. It was a little bit dangerous, but these were the days before the internet, and we'd feel the, the power of the wind. And it was really exhilarating. But we didn't have power over it. And when it got too much, we'd have to go inside. Well, it's hard not to rush to think of Jesus when we read the beginning of this psalm or hear a story like that. Remember Mark 4. Remember the waves. Remember the storm. Remember the fearful disciples. And remember that all it took for it to calm was a word. The disciples, they were more afraid, weren't they, after that than they were before because they recognized that God himself was in the boat with them. That Jesus had the kind of authority you read about here, authority over wind and waves and sea. That the sea, so often depicted in the Bible as a place of chaos and confusion, did just what Jesus said it should do. Friends, this psalm, as it begins, it's reminding us that we don't live in a creation governed by chance or governed by chaos. No, this psalm is reminding us that God rules over it. We're reminded of his rule over his creation. Secondly, though, we see his care for it, his rule over it. Second, his care for it. The God we meet in this psalm is is deeply involved in his creation. We see this um, all the way through. The writer switches from saying he, talking about God, to saying you, talking directly to God. Do you notice that? We also see the order here, especially in verses 5 to 9. 
in verses 5 to 9, he talks of foundations and, and boundaries. And these things ensure that the stability, the order of creation. He sets the earth on its foundations so that it should never be moved, verse 5. You set a boundary that they may not pass, verse 9. And what is depicted in between are waters receding and, and mountains appearing, structure being given to the whole of God's creation. Now, this uh, refers, of course, to God's original work. But I think there are also hints here of God's covenant with Noah. After the flood, the waters receding and God promising that the world he had made would know stability. Genesis 8 and 9, God tells Noah, while the earth remains seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. The water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. There is stability, there is order to God's creation. I think we also see God's care in his provision. From verses 10 to 22, there are lots of examples of the way that God continues to provide for the world that he has made. Here is a God who even cares for wild donkeys and rock badgers. Uh, wild donkeys are often used in the Old Testament as uh, a metaphor for foolish or, or stubborn people. And yet, the psalmist tells us, God still gives water to them. Do you see that? Verse 11. And as for rock badgers, well, they are mentioned on four occasions in the Bible. I'm sure you have those verses memorized. But on a serious note, in Leviticus and Deuteronomy, God's people are told not to eat them. They're described as unclean. And yet we see God providing a refuge for them. Verse 18. This is really interesting. Um, William Wilberforce, um, he's uh, well known for his campaign to end slavery. What is less well known is his care for animals. And he was one of those who set up the Society for the Prevention of Cruelty to Animals, which became the RSPCA. Why did he bother with that? Because God cares for animals. We don't always think of that, do we? We don't think of it as maybe being that big a deal. But in this psalm, we see God providing for the animals he made. He gives them water, verse 11. He gives them food, verse 14. He gives them homes, verse 17. God also brings rain to make trees grow, verse 16. So uh, those of you who are green-fingered, who love your gardens, you need to know that you are doing godly work. Just as Adam and Eve were called to at the beginning of the Bible. So God's care for creation, it's, it's seen in the order of creation, it's seen in the provision God makes, but it's also seen in its abundance. 
abundance. I, I think we see this in verse 15. God gives food and wine, bread and oil. He wants to gladden man's heart. As someone put it, the Lord desires that human beings enjoy life, not just endure it. I wonder, is that our view of God this morning? You see, there's so much here that is unnecessary. God didn't need to create birds. Have you ever thought about that? He didn't need to do that, but he decided to do it. God could have made a world where we just get kind of zapped by him and and get all the nutrients we need without ever having the enjoyment of tasting real food, but he didn't. No, instead, he made a world that teems with life, a world with mountains and valleys, fields and birds, trees and plants, grass and livestock. This is all in the text, storks and goats and lions and forests and on and on and on and on. This was how God wanted the world to be. Now, why is this important? I think it matters because sometimes you and I, we can, we can try to be more spiritual than God. We can think that somehow these, these things don't really matter. We can feel a funny kind of guilt in enjoying God's good gifts. But we need to see that that is wrong, <laughs> That taking pictures of trees, going for a walk in the park, climbing a hill, trying a new recipe, none of these things are unchristian or unspiritual. How could they be when God is our creator? No, as Paul tells Timothy, everything God created is good and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving. Maybe today you and I need permission to enjoy God's good gifts without that nagging feeling of guilt. And that takes me to uh, the third theme in this song. In thinking about creation, we don't just see God's rule over it. We don't just see his care for it. We also see his image in it, his image in it. We see this in verse 23. Just look at that verse. Man goes out to his work and to his labor until the evening. Within his creation, God has has given a special place to human beings. We see this, don't we, in Genesis chapter 1. But let's dwell on this idea for a moment. Do you see the pattern of work and rest in verse 23. Uh, The norm, and yes, of course, there are those who have to work uh, night shifts, of course, but the norm is heading out in the morning and coming home at night and then not working. There is a time to work and a time to rest. And problems come, don't they, when we don't respect the need for a a boundary between those two things. Maybe today 
Uh, you are someone who needs to hear the second half of verse 23. You need to know that rest is okay, that sleep is not sinful. Jesus slept, and all of us need sleep too. Winston Churchill, um, he was once asked the secret of his success. What do you think he said? He said, conservation of energy. Never stand up when you can sit down. Never sit down when you can lie down. There is a bit of wisdom there, isn't there? The Protestant work ethic is good, but only up to a certain point. We are not robots. We are not made to work, work, work. Or maybe it's the first part of verse 24. Uh, You need to think about more. Work is not a result of the fall. Work is harder after the fall, of course. But it is part of what it means to be image bearers. God works. He, he works all the way through this psalm, doesn't he? Jesus worked. And man, men and women work too. You see, just look back at verse 14. It says that God causes the grass to grow. But then it adds this, and plants for man to cultivate. I think that's uh, really interesting. God could have set up the whole of creation in such a way that that human beings didn't need to work it, to, to keep it. But God chose not to do it that way. Instead, he has involved us. Instead, he's woven into the whole fabric of creation, rhythms and patterns of work and rest. This is what we were made for. This is why it can be so hard to be out of work and why we should try to help those who are. So man is made in God's image. He works, men and women work and rest as we see God doing, don't we, in Genesis 1. That's the positive side. But there is a negative side as well, isn't there? Just look at verse 35. Look at the beginning of verse 35. What did you make of this? The psalmist has been singing this this beautiful song all about God's wonderful world. He's been playing this great tune to us. And then all of a sudden, it's as if he just smashes his hands down on the piano. Let sinners be consumed from the earth. Let the wicked be no more. Well, it's incredibly realistic, isn't it? The psalm may be a a meditation on Genesis 1, but he is reminding us that God's creation contains sin, contains people who are wicked. I think without this verse, we would be in Eden, wouldn't we? But because it's there, we know that the psalmist is talking about the world that you and I live in. And the rest of the Bible makes clear that one day what he longs for will happen. One day all sin, all wickedness will be judged, will be gone forever. But we need to recognize that we are sinners too, don't we? 
In Romans 1, Paul says that all of us, the whole of humanity, worships and serves created things rather than the Creator. Francis Schaeffer said that human beings, we are like glorious ruins. Glorious ruins. Just think of St. Andrew's Cathedral, if you've been there recently, walked past it. When you look at it, you can see what it once was, can't you? And it's just like humanity. We have such dignity, and yet you and I are capable of such evil, such wickedness. In the Chronicles of Narnia, um, Aslan puts it this way, you come of the Lord Adam and the Lady Eve, he says, and that is both honor enough to lift the head of the poorest beggar and shame enough to bow the shoulders of the greatest emperor on earth. That's what it means to be human, to have such honor, such dignity, and yet be capable of of such wrong. And this is why we need a Savior, isn't it? This is why God sent the second and last Adam, Jesus Christ. In Jesus, the Creator entered creation to, to save us from our sin. It's almost as if um, a director wrote himself into his own film. He appeared on the stage, on the screen. He saved the day. That is something of what Jesus has done. He has entered the world that he made. He has come to redeem us, to redeem it. And it takes me to my final point this morning. In this creation psalm, we don't just see God's rule over it. We don't just see his care for it. We don't just see his image in it. We see his plan for it, his ultimate plan for the whole of creation. John Calvin, he said that creation was the theater, is the theater of God's glory. The whole purpose that God made this world was to put on display just how wonderful he is. The goal of life, the goal of creation was worship. And we see this in the way the psalm ends. It's a a great crescendo of praise. May the glory of the Lord endure forever, verse 31. May the Lord rejoice in his works. I will sing to the Lord as long as I live, verse 33. Praise the Lord. See, the end for which God made the whole of creation, the the chief end of man is to glorify this God and enjoy him forever. Now, maybe you think this morning that is just what you expect a preacher to say, isn't it? But I want you to see that it is just so fitting, so fitting. You see, just think about uh, this question for a moment. Why is there something 
instead of nothing. That's pretty deep, isn't it? But it's one of the questions human beings have wrestled with for centuries. Why is there anything at all? Is it all just chance? Are we all here just by accident? Well, Christianity, Scripture says, no. Christianity says, before there was anything, there was God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, perfectly content. Christianity teaches that God didn't need anything. Things could have stayed that way. But out of sheer love, God created. And when we become Christians, we we get in line with this reality. We, we realize, as one hymn writer put it, that this, this wonderful creation is our Father's world. The writer of that hymn was called Malt B. D. Babcock, as well as having one of the most uh, wonderful names of any hymn writer. He was a minister in New York in the 19th century. He loved to enjoy God's creation, especially the area around Niagara Falls. He he died in 1901, aged just 42. But after his death, his wife published a series of poems that he'd written. The most famous went like this. This is my father's world. This is my Father's world, and to my listening ears, all nature sings, and round me rings the music of the spheres. And in writing this, he was imitating the psalmist. He was recognizing that the world we live in has a maker, and he was calling himself, he was calling everyone to join the praise. As the hymn goes on, this is my Father's world. He shines, he shines in all that's fair. And so maybe this morning, you and I here, we need to let all that is fair, all that is good in God's creation point us back to our Creator. Maybe today, mountains and birds and even rock badgers can remind us that God and God alone is worthy of worship, that He rules over His creation, that He cares for all that He has made. And that in Jesus, he has entered into it and one day will renew it forever. And so we sing, don't we? Praise God, praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise him, all creatures here below. Praise him above, you heavenly host. Praise Father, Son and Holy Ghost. Let's pray.